In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Jesus said, I came to cast fire on the earth, as we just heard in our gospel reading, how I wish it was already ablaze. I have a baptism that I must experience how distressed I am until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace on earth? No. I tell you, I have come instead to bring division. Does this make anybody else uncomfortable? <laughs> You're telling on your wife, Matt? Yeah, it's a little bit uncomfortable, right? This is, uh, chalk this up into uh, phrases that we wish didn't, Jesus didn't say or that we weren't assigned to preach on. Um, you know, didn't he come to bring peace? Wasn't this prophesied in Luke that he comes to uh, guide our feet into the way of peace? Didn't Jesus at the end of this gospel uh, proclaim a benediction to his own disciples and say, peace be with you? So what's up with this? I did not come to bring peace. What's going on here? Tell a quick story, and then uh, I think it helps illuminate what's going on here. Uh, on April 3rd, 1963, the Alabama Christian Movement for Human Rights and the Southern Christian Leadership Conference led by Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, they coordinated a series of marches and sit-ins against racism and racial segregation in Birmingham, Alabama. A week later, after they began these, uh, a circuit judge on April 10th, 1963, issued a blanket injunction for Birmingham that just said, that against parading, demonstrating, boycotting, trespassing, and picketing. So you can't do any of those things. Leaders from the campaign, including Martin Luther King Jr., proclaimed, we will disobey this ruling. Okay. Two days later, on Good Friday, April 12th, 1963, they were demonstrating, and King himself was roughly and publicly arrested, along with other activists for parading without a permit. King was uh, thrown into jail in Birmingham, and he was met with unusually harsh conditions there, but an ally managed to smuggle him in a newspaper. And in this newspaper on April 12, 1963, it contained a statement by eight white Alabama clergymen against King and the whole Birmingham movement that was happening down there. And so the letter provoked King, and he began to write a response in the margins of the newspaper itself. Uh, and uh, eventually on other scraps of paper that were managed to smuggle in, eventually somebody got him a notebook, and he finished this letter from a Birmingham jail, which is one of the most important documents of the civil rights movement. Um, and so this letter that these eight white Alabama clergymen wrote was called A Call for Unity, and uh, they disapproved in this letter of the tension that was created by the public actions such as sit-ins and marches that uh, King and others were leading. And King responded to him in a letter from a Birmingham jail by, saying, by basically saying, then it appears to be working. The point is to create the tension. That's what he said. The point is to create tension. That's why we do nonviolent direct action. He confirmed that he and his fellow demonstrators were indeed using nonviolent direct action to create this kind of tension, and in fact, this kind of tension was good. That's what he was saying in the letter. The tension was intended to compel meaningful conversation, negotiation with white power structures in Birmingham, without which true civil rights could never be reached. King argued in the letter, we know through painful experience that freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor, it must be demanded by the oppressed. 
The white clergymen in A Call for Unity also objected to the demonstrations because they said these are illegal. You know, the, the judge issued this injunction, so these are illegal. To which King responded that not only was civil disobedience justified in the face of unjust laws, but it was in fact necessary to uphold the true law. King writes, I submit that an individual who breaks a law that conscience tells him is unjust and who willingly accepts the penalty of imprisonment in order to arouse the conscience of the community over its injustice is in reality expressing the highest respect for the law. In closing the letter, King praised the nonviolent demonstrators of Birmingham for their sublime courage, their willingness to suffer, and their amazing discipline in the midst of great provocation. One day the South will recognize its real heroes. That's how he closes the letter. So I mention this letter from a Birmingham jail because the same dynamic is present in these words that King writes, is the same dynamic that Jesus is provoking in his speech here that we read, this, this final part of what Jesus is writing. So I would imagine if I was to put Jesus' phraseology into King's mouth, it might sound something like this. I came to bring constructive tension to Birmingham. I, I know I'll likely have to spend some time being humiliated, put in jail, but that's part of it. Do you think I came to tell everyone to calm down and accept racism and segregation for the sake of peace? No. I tell you, I didn't come to bring that kind of peace, but to create tension, to reveal the inherent injustice of racism and racial segregation, to expose the heresy of white supremacy and the violence it causes to black bodies in this city. That's what I would imagine King would say if he was to say what he was saying in the words of Jesus. And Jesus is saying the same kinds of things. Obviously, Jesus wasn't uh, fighting for civil rights in America, um, and so we, we've got different problems than Jesus was addressing. But Jesus is doing something of the same kind of thing, even though this passage has been used to justify Christian violence. We'll talk about that a little bit later, um, which is utterly wrong. But Jesus here is speaking at the conclusion of a whole series of warnings to his disciples. He says, you're going to be tempted to to make the goal of your life staying alive, to make the goal of your life playing it safe, keeping the peace, not causing too much trouble, keeping your head down. That's the temptation, just to try to secure your life. So you're going to be tempted to accumulate wealth, to please those who are in power, uh, to not cause too much trouble. Um, and Matt uh, preached last week that all of the things that you're anxious, you're, you're, you're losing, or you're angry that you'll never inherit. Don't be afraid, Jesus says. Your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. You have it all. So he's, he's telling his disciples, look, it's not going to be a cakewalk. It's not going to be easy for you. But don't be afraid. Your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. So that don't be afraid should ring in our ears as we listen to Jesus proclaim fire on the earth. There should be a don't be afraid in the midst of this, right? We read these little sections of scripture, but this, this, ha this was a long series of things that, his, that Jesus was saying to his disciples. And so now, in, the, in that context, Jesus warns his disciples of the conflict that his ministry is going to bring, both for himself, it's going to become a baptism that he must undergo, and for his followers. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. But friends, the good news for us today is this, that Jesus has saved the world through his baptism of blood on the cross. And he has cast the cleansing fire of God's love on the earth, which exposes and disrupts every power that has set itself up against divine love. And though this brings us into conflict with these powers, let us embrace 
the cleansing fire of God's love today, trusting him to bring us into the joy of resurrection life as we fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Where do you need to embrace the fire, the cleansing fire of God's love today? Where do you need to allow Jesus to burn the violence out of you today? Where do you need to leave the way of the world and follow Jesus? Jesus says, I've come to cast fire on the earth. How I wish it was already ablaze. The early church fathers said that this fire that Jesus came to cast on the earth was indeed the fire of God's love. Through the mystery of the incarnation, Christ comes to save us from our descent into non-being by igniting the fire of divine love in human hearts. That's the fire that he casts upon the earth. The early church was almost unanimous on this. God's love. Jesus says, I have a baptism to undergo. How distressed I am until it is completed. Jesus is speaking here, of course, of his baptism in his own blood on the cross. The ultimate goal of his ministry to bring the kingdom of God to unite all things in heaven and on earth through the cross. Which all sounds very lovely, doesn't it? And then he says, do you think I've come to bring peace? No, I tell you. I've come instead to bring division. So what's up with this? If this fire is God's love and the baptism is the reconciling beauty of the cross and the resurrection, what does Jesus mean when he says he's come to bring division? It isn't that Jesus wants to bring division. This is a way of speaking in the text of uh, the consequence of something being spoken of as, the, as its purpose. So Jesus isn't saying, the reason I came is to cause division. I love division, right? You have to look at this text through the whole lens of Jesus' ministry and the rest of the New Testament. Obviously, division is not a good thing in and of itself. Jesus isn't purposing to bring division, but he is aware that his, the inevitable consequence of his ministry will be division. Why? Because not everybody's excited about the love of God being unleashed on the world. Not everybody's excited about the reconciling power of the cross because it means you're going to have to divest yourself of the power and the privilege that you have held on because you think it secures your life. You have to trust God enough that your real life actually consists in giving those things away and trusting Jesus for resurrection. And so this is going to be met with struggle, with conflict, with division, because there are powers and principalities at work in our world that have set themselves up against the love of God. And so speaking of the love of God and actually literally unleashing its fire upon the earth, which is what happened, that's going to, excuse me, that's going to bring division. It's going to bring conflict. There are ideologies and vested interests at work in the world that set the trends and they pull the strings and they demand our unquestioning allegiance and putting our faith in Christ means we name them as idols and blasphemies and we refuse to bend the knee to them. That's what following Christ means. But the powers themselves are always going to fight to suppress any such rebellion against their hegemony, and we will pay a price for it. Jesus is saying, you will pay a price. Divided families, loved ones turning against us, they think we've lost the plot. They think that we're insulting what they believe in and what's important to them. There'll be hostility and abuse, loneliness, ridicule, suspicion. Because Jesus didn't come to validate our social structures and just give us a little pep talk on how to get through life in Babylon. He's come to upend the whole thing. Through his death and resurrection, 
the whole world order, in fact, has been overturned. And he's calling us to live in that reality. But it will mean conflict with powers and principalities that demand our allegiance. The fire of God's love unleashed on the cross exposes and reveals these powers for what they are. And then it prompts a choice of allegiance that we cannot escape as disciples of Jesus. Pledging our allegiance to Jesus will bring us into conflict with these powers. You want to follow me, Jesus says? Get ready for some conflict. Get ready for some upheaval. So much for country club church, right? It's kind of how we're seen in today's climate. Christians, right? Nice people. They go to church. It's a nice country club. It's good for some people, right? What Jesus calls us into, friends, is so much more radical than that. Jesus has saved the world through his baptism of blood on the cross, and now he has cast the cleansing fire of God's love on the earth, exposing and disrupting every power that has set itself up against divine love. And though this brings us into conflict with these powers, let us embrace today, friends, the cleansing power, the cleansing fire of God's love, trusting him to bring us into the joy of resurrection life as we fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I mentioned that this passage has been used to justify Christian violence. Matthew's version of this gospel text says that Jesus says, in, in the mouth of Jesus is said, uh, I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. And it's been used to justify the Crusades and other kinds of Christian violence. And I just want to say that uh, this passage does not indicate to us at all that this would be the result. That the conflict we go into, we don't go in with a sword. We go in with Jesus who himself said, I've come to cast this fire on the earth, but this isn't like me blowing away my enemies with a flamethrower. No, the fire that I cast on the earth is going to erupt in conflict, and then I'm going to submit to a baptism, a baptism in my own blood on the cross. So following Jesus into these conflicts doesn't mean we go with a sword ready to strike down our enemies. This way of following Jesus is prefigured, of course, in the passage that we read from Hebrews this morning. Some face jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. The new way of the kingdom is epitomized now in Jesus undergoing this baptism. He conquers by dying. He absorbs the violence of the world. He does not reflect it and retaliate. And following Jesus means then that we embrace this way of being. We embrace the fire of God's love and we let it bring up whatever conflicts it will. But then it also means that we have an absolute commitment to renounce retaliation and retribution. It means we love our enemies. We pray for those who persecute us. And it ultimately means, if necessary, we lay down our lives. Why? The path of life is the path of the cross. This is what Jesus shows us. Now, that might sound somewhat uninviting, right? Maybe I haven't, you, you know, you've been like, hey, you haven't made me less uncomfortable yet. So that's intentional. Um, so where's the good news in this? <clears throat> and again, both our readings from Hebrews and from the Gospel of Luke point to an answer. Jesus speaks to his baptism on the cross. And baptism is not just being engulfed in, in, uh, 
in the water, when we think about the waters of baptism. For Jesus, it was not just being engulfed by the world's violence and being destroyed, was it? No, it also meant rising again into new life. And for us, it means the same thing. It means that real life, the kind of life that God has come, that Jesus has come to bring us, is found on the other side of crucifixion. That's what resurrection life is. And so there's good news for us today, even in the midst of being called to follow Jesus into these conflicts. You're not called to embrace this fire for no reason. We're called to embrace the fire simply because that's the path Jesus lays out for us. It's the path of life. It really is. There's no way around the cross. And as the writer to the Hebrews says, if we keep our eyes on Jesus and follow his lead, the vision of the freedom, joy, and love to come will give us perseverance to push through whatever threatens to engulf us now. Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him, not because he was a masochist. It was joy set before him. He trusted God. He laid his life in, in, in his father's hands and said, I trust you that you'll bring life from this. That vision of a world where love and justice finally do reign and all things are made one in God is the promise of the only life that is actually worth living and the only one worth dying for. So how do we respond to this? Uh, Annie Dillard once suggested that if we really understood the power that we invoke when we come together to go to church, this seemingly innocuous activity, uh, she said we'd show up with crash helmets. We wouldn't show up with nice hats. We'd show up with crash helmets on, and the ushers would hand out life preservers and signal flares, and they'd lash us to our seats. Why? Because she says that the God that we are dealing with, whose love is a fire, we can't control. We don't get to determine what happens. And she says, God may draw us where we can never return. So I want to suggest that following Jesus is sort of like this, being drawn to places that we can't go back from. We can't unsee this. We can't unhear this. We can't unknow this. All that's left is to make a choice, to respond. We've heard this disruptive word of the gospel, and we have to respond. So how, what is it for you? Where do you need to embrace the cleansing fire of God's love today? Where do you need to allow Jesus to burn the violence out of you today? Where do you need to leave the way of the world and follow Jesus today? For me, I'm trying to break out of my insulation from the suffering of those around me in general. I just find it's easy for me to pick and choose what I consume and read, the people I talk to. It's easy for me to just talk with people who Tell me things that are comfortable for me to hear. <laughs> so I'm trying to break out of that. I'm trying to get to know people who have a very different life experience from me. S seeking to stand in solidarity, for example, with black and brown brothers and sisters who are teaching me how to act in the way of Christ in a way that I've never learned how to do. Friends, Jesus has saved the world through his baptism in blood, of blood on the cross, and has cast the cleansing fire of God's love on the earth exposing and disrupting every power that has set itself up against divine love. And though this brings us into conflict with these powers, let us embrace today the cleansing fire of God's love, trusting him to bring us into the joy of resurrection life as we fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.